The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth below, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it, You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for a morning to gather together as your people as children who have been adopted into your heavenly family and to lift your name on high for what you have done for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, there are, there are things that we need in this life. Jesus told us man does not live on bread alone but relies upon the word of God. And so we too are uh, in reliance upon your word. And so today we come to feast on that word And so, Father, to do that, would you give us eyes to see your beauty? Would you give us ears to hear, hearts that are soft to receive the good news? And, Father, would you give us hands that are willing and able to carry out what is um, required of us? Father, I pray for myself as a servant of your word this morning that you would help me, that you would give me um, a, a strong back and a soft heart for your people that you'd help me communicate in a way that is clear and convicting, but ultimately in a way that communicates your goodness through Jesus Christ. And so would the the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I need a drink, my mouth. Too much singing. All right. 
Well, um, we have been in Exodus now for almost six months. We've been going um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the entire book of Exodus, and we, we've typically been pacing at one chapter a week, and over the last five weeks or so, we've slowed it down to actually more of a pace of one verse per week. Um, as we are going through the Ten Commandments. And I, I really have appreciated this series because it has it's given an op- us an opportunity to sort of um, not just be familiar with the Ten Commandments, but to really dig in and gain understanding of what is at the heart of these commandments. And I hope what you're seeing up to this point is that really what's at the heart, what's at the center of the t- Ten Commandments is God's desire for relationship, Right? for us to know what it looks like to have relationship with God and relationship with our neighbor. Now, if you've been with us, you remember that I've said before that the first four commandments tell us of our duty toward God and how to maintain our relationship with him, right? We are told in the first commandment to love him only. The second commandment tells us to worship him correctly. The third commandment tells us to speak of him reverently. And the fourth commandment tells us what to do with our time, that we work and rest to the glory of God, But the commandments don't end there with just our duty toward God. They also instruct us, uh, commandments 5 through 10, instruct us in our duty toward man and what to do to maintain relationship with him. See, God is directing us how how we are to interact with others. And I've mentioned this before as well, that the Ten Commandments come in order of importance. And so it's interesting here that when, when we move into the section of our duty toward man, The first commandment God gives us is in regard to how we are to function in our homes, that we are to honor our father and our mother. So the most important duty we see here is toward man, or our most important duty toward man is to honor your father and mother. And by putting this commandment by where it is, God is revealing the importance of the family because it's, it's actually revealed throughout the entire Torah, the, the Old Testament here. You see this in Exodus 13, where after God delivers them from the land of Egypt, God gives them a Passover meal for parents to instruct their kids in what to do. We see this in Deuteronomy 6, maybe the, the most famous passage for any parenting seminar or parenting book that's ever been written is to, to, to teach your children. And this was a, to, to teach your children, to lead them, to train them, to love them, and to discipline them and disciple them in God's ways at all times. And this is a high calling for parents. And it's given to parents because they have the greatest influence over their children. You see, the parent-child relationship is of the most formidable relationships that any of us will have. In a way, the parent-child relationship makes us who we are. Right? We learn how to relate to the world we live in and how our parents relate to the world they live in. We develop socially and relationally through our parents' relationships. Some days, right, I wonder why my kid is so weird, right? And, and it's because he gets it from his mother. <laughs> I can say that. She's in the nursery, so it's actually because it's from me, but... No one else in your family, or really no one else in your life, will see you grow up physically, emotionally, spiritually from start all the way up through adulthood, right? Even our emotional maturity is impacted on our home life. But not only is this relationship important for our development, it is essential for the stability of our society, 
The family is the foundation of society. Without families in our society, there is no stability. Mark Roker, who's a commentator on, through this passage in Exodus, he says that the family lays the foundation for all other forms of authority and obedience within the culture. And what he's saying here is, is that if we are going to get along with our boss, our coworkers, uh, uh, the government, our president, all of the sort of authority that's around us in our society, we first learn how to do that in the home. And if we don't learn how to do that in the home, there will be a lot of issues for us down the road. In fact, uh, St. Augustine uh, comments on this. He says that if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone else that he will spare? If we don't have honor and, and respect toward our parents, is there anybody else that we will honor and respect? Probably not. Right? Because this relationship is, a, is the beginning of all society. Now, because this relationship is so important, the fifth commandment uh, addresses how children ought to regard, how, how they ought to regard their parents, how they ought to esteem their parents. And, and at this point, parents, uh, you're, you're feeling that you want to nudge your kids and get them to pay attention to this sermon. Um, and that's good, kids. I hope, I hope you are listening because this might be the closest we ever get at Sacred City to having a children's message, right? This, this is, well, I, was, I was thinking maybe we could clear out the chairs and sit up on the, I, that's kind of the, the church that I grew up on, right? You, kids come up to the front for five minutes to do a little sermon, right? Well, this is actually a sermon for everybody, so we're not gonna do that, but we got close, <laughs> right? Because this is so important for us to understand, because this commandment shows us perhaps the most important thing in how we uh, interact with our neighbor, we are going to dig into this passage this morning. And so we're going to start by looking at what this command requires of. So if you want to open up your Bible to Exodus 20, verse 12, we'll be in this one verse all morning. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible on the floor. You can keep that. If you don't own a Bible, otherwise grab your app. uh, Or if you brought your own Bible, excellent. We will sit right here. And as as you're pulling that up here, I just want you to notice something. Take a look at, at that passage. You'll notice there are no footnotes. There are no fine print. There's not even a disclaimer or an exception to this commandment. It seems like it's straightforward, right? But at the same time, this, this command is very complex because we all have come from very different home lives. Some of us have come from places where this is easy. We, we see honor your, your mother and your father, and this makes sense to us. Of course, my, my mother and my father are, are deserving of my honor. And some of us have come from contexts where that's not the case, where mom and dad have been difficult, and our lives at home have been very hard. And so this is one of those things where there's a lot of complexity, not to mention this is very controversial. This might even be considered narrow-minded by the standards of our culture because what it's doing is it's sort of setting the standard for God's design of family, that a father and a mother, united in monogamous marriage, care for their children and require this of their children in a certain way. And this sort of uh, uh, God's design for marriage, God's design for the family is under attack by society. So this is one of those commandments where it seems straightforward, but there's a lot of complexity and nuance to that. And so I ask that you would trust me as we wade through this waters, these waters this morning. 
Because this is one of those sermons that I know as I stand behind the pulpit, there are a lot of landmines for me to step on. And I've been praying through this this week. I've been praying that, that, that God, through the Spirit, would help me navigate these waters. And so we are going to dig in here, and we're going to study beyond the surface level of this command and get to the heart of it. So let's read Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. And that's where it starts. Honor your father and your mother. I imagine when, when most of us hear this, we automatically think in terms of obedience. To honor means to obey, to listen and obey, right? And I think that's partially right. But, but what we need to see here is honor starts in the heart. It is an internal uh, positioning or internal honoring that leads to an external response, so it goes from heart to behavior. It starts on the inside and it works its way out. So in order to honor your father and your mother, is isn't just about behavior and obedience. It is about your heart attitude. To honor your father and mother means to express, express reverence and esteem for, the, for them. And, and if you start to dig into this language, you'll see that, that it's very closely linked with worship language. Right, and, and I'm not saying here that we need to worship mom and dad. That would be idolatry. But what we ought to do is to highly esteem and view them as humans with a high regard, as an expression of our worship to God. Now, this might be a point of contention for some of us, right, where the honor for our father and our mother has crossed over into the land of idolatry, that your parents have become your everything, that even as an adult, you are completely reliant upon them for your daily life. They have become your ultimate source of comfort, identity, joy, and safety. But the true source for those things is found in God himself. And this is what it looks like. When you get bad news or you're in a crisis, the first thing you do is call up mom or dad. Right? You don't go to prayer You don't turn to God. You bypass him and go straight to mom and dad. But for God to be our God, that means that at all times we must turn to him for these things, for our our identity, joy, safety, and comfort. And then it is as an extension of his grace that we can find that in our parents as well. See, the fifth commandment must be held alongside the first commandment, that our parents do not get elevated above God, but they are viewed in relation to God. See, God alone is worthy of our worship, but but as we worship God, we are able to honor and highly esteem our parents. So I want to dig into this question. What does it mean to, to honor our parents in the heart? What does that look like? So I've got a few things here that I, I want to lay out for you to consider. And, and it's hard to create a comprehensive list of all these things. All right, we could be here for hours, and I know that you know, one hour is long enough most days. So um, we're going we're gonna to look at a few of these things. The first thing, to honor your mom and dad means that we love them and have an affection for them. Right? If you want to honor your mom and dad, start with loving them. And love for parents is usually cultivated um, by a sense of, of gratefulness, right? This starts at a young age. We see what mom and dad have done for us. We see what they've, they've accredited or attributed to our lives, and we, we become grateful. And we see this first off in that our parents are the reason that we're here, 
right? They, they helped make us. And so we're thankful for that. And secondly, they offer provisions for us emotionally, physically, relationally, and spiritually. And, and because of all that they've done, we, we look at that, we, we honor that, we love them for it. And with this love comes loyalty and trust. Because they love me and they're looking out for my best interest, I can trust them and express that trust through loyalty. Right? Rather than rebelling or, or pushing against what they say, I can take what they say and, and, and be loyal to it and be loyal to them in that. I can take their direction and their wisdom and their guidance. We also see to honor your parents means to respect them, specifically through how we use our mouths. And you might be saying, well, speaking, that, that seems like a behavior thing. But actually what Jesus tells us in Matthew 15, that speaking comes from an overflow of the heart. And so really this is a heart condition. It's a heart issue. And it's so easy for us to criticize the mistakes and displeasure that we have with our parents for, for whatever that they've done in our past. And certainly there, there, there's room for that in any relationship. But one of the ways that we respect our parents is by holding our tongue from criticism that's void of redemptive purpose. Now that's sort of a caveat there. What does it mean to have redemptive purpose? Let me, let me kind of contrast redemptive purpose against non-redemptive purpose. To, have, to, to, to criticize with non-redemptive purpose is to slander, to criticize for the sake of belittling, to point out faults for the sake of humiliation. See, we just kind of list off a, a, a list of grievances and say, well, that's how bad my parents were. Even though, even though those might be true things, there's no redemptive purpose. Now, to have redemptive purpose in these things means that we present the facts. It might be the same content that we would say otherwise, but we say that so for the sake of understanding the gospel better. Let me, let me tease this out. Many of us carry mom and dad wounds, and these wounds shape how we see God. Now, for example, if your father was withholding, you're likely to see God, your heavenly father, as withholding. If your mother was manipulative through her, her house rules, then, then it's likely that you might see God and his commandments as manipulative as well. And so as we talk through these things, we are able to see that, that God is different from our biological parents. And in seeing that, we, we acknowledge what God has for us. We grow in our understanding of the gospel and what God has done. And so talking about what we've experienced in our childhood and what mom and dad have maybe sinned against us can often lead us deeper into the gospel because we find the healing balm that God offers. And while we refrain from speaking poorly of our parents, we also speak positively of our parents. It's not to hype them up. It's not to make them something they are. And it's not to bend the truth, not to be phony. It's not to pretend and, and ignore the hurt that may or may not be there. But it's to affirm the good that's in them and give them a little bit of credit because there's got to be some ounce of good there. And so we want to acknowledge and affirm the things that they did right. Right? 
Now, some of us are withholding of that. We don't like uh, to, to actually give our parents credit. We don't want to acknowledge that maybe mom and dad actually did something right. Maybe it's we've never thanked them for the sacrifices they made, never acknowledged what sort of positive impact that they've had on our life. And so one of the best ways to honor your parents is to affirm them. Face to face, look at mom and dad in the eye. Say, dad, mom, I know I didn't see this as a kid, but this was something that was meaningful to me. This was something that, that shaped me in a profound way. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't have anything to affirm in my mom or dad. My dad was deadbeat. Maybe he's abusive. My mom was absent. Maybe she was manipulative. Or maybe they were altogether absent. See, if this describes your experience, I am very sympathetic for you. I feel your hurt. You were deprived of a relationship that was most meant to resemble how the heavenly father looks at you. So I want you to know that you, you have been sinned against. I want you to know that your hurt is right. But my hope is for you that you find healing in the gospel that you could cling to your true father in heaven who keeps your tears in bottles and sees your tossing and turning at night, who knows your heartache and has the ability to mend it. You see, one of the most challenging and beautiful and liberating ways that we can honor our parents is to forgive them, even the terrible ones. Henry Nguyen says that forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour increasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. You see, some of us are painfully aware of the imperfection of our parents, right? And even those of us who have good parents know that our parents are not perfect. Sorry to out you, mom and dad. That parents sin against their children. And if you were to keep a tally, it wouldn't just be on occasion. It's really quite more frequent than what you think. See, good parents repent to their children. Good parents acknowledge their failures and, and repent to their kids and to God, primarily. But for those who don't, ultimately, they will be held responsible for their sins. They will have to deal with their actions. And they'll either find forgiveness through faith in Christ, or they will have to bear that punishment themselves because their sin is not only against you, it is against the Heavenly Father. See, all the sin, even the small sins of parents, is condemnable. Now, since as children, since your parents have sinned against you, you have a, a, a choice to make. You can, either, you can either forgive them or you can withhold that forgiveness. For non-Christians, forgiveness doesn't really make any sense. 
at least not in a compelling way. See, forgiveness is seen as weakness. It's seen as succumbing to the abuser. It's a disregard for the damage done. It, it makes you more vulnerable. But for the Christian, forgiveness is the only option because we are people who have experienced radical forgiveness firsthand. C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian means to forgive it means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. See, our sins are just as con- condemnable as our parents' sins, which have been done against us. You see, there is solidarity in our condemnability. The forgiveness towards others is an overflow of the forgiveness that we have experienced through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we forgive because Christ forgives us. And this is what's, what's interesting here. Forgiveness restores honor. To forgive is to say, I have seen what you have done, mom and dad. I have seen the hurt that you have caused. I have seen that you have reason to be ashamed but I am putting that on Christ so you don't have to carry that. And it's by that gesture, there is an elevation of that person. They are returned to a place of honor rather than a place of shame. See, this is what happens to us in the gospel, that not only are we forgiven of our sins, but Christ raises us with him to heavenly places. See, this is why forgiveness is perhaps one of the most radical ways to honor our mother and our father. Right, and so that's the first part, right? We see this, that honoring your mother and your father begins with an attitude of the heart. And now let's move in. What about the behavior, the actions? See, this can be summed up by saying this one thing. We honor our parents by submitting to their God-appointed authority. See, this idea of God-appointed authority is not something that the popular culture likes to acknowledge. They, they push back on it. Parents, in the view of culture, are, are, are just in the way of fun. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. They're out of place. And in some, some situations, parents are to be despised, right? This is sort of a common cultural narrative that's going on in pop culture. Just think about it. Think about uh, Homer and Bart Simpson, the disregard for, that Bart has for his father. Or, or you see it in, in, in other um, sitcoms, Family Guy, the Goldbergs. Um, I think even, even in what wholesome television like Parenthood, you can see a disregard for parents in that. And even Disney movies have a way of sort of disregarding and pushing back on parents. See, our children are being taught subconsciously that it's okay for them to disregard parental authority. And that's not okay. That is not what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to honor them and to esteem their authority. See, what we need to see, children and and adults likewise, that we must recognize that parents have been appointed authority over their children because God appointed them to be parents. 
Now, there are good and there are bad uses to authority. Many of us have experienced both. But a bad use of authority would be to manipulate and to oppress. We see this happening with, with what the, the Israelites experience here in the context of the, the Exodus story where they have been oppressed by Pharaoh. That was a manipulation. That was, that was an overstepping of authority. But we also see it in, in pop culture things too. I don't know, Bates Motel, if you've seen Norma Bates, she does this. An overuse of or a manipulation of authority. See, bad authority discourages, cripples, wilts, sucks dry, dehumanizes, snuffs out, and annihilates. But good parental authority, on the other hand, is used in line as parents are in submission to God's will and his ultimate authority. See, this is the responsibility of parents that they have toward God, to be, to be in submission to him. And, and with good authority leads to familial flourishing. It promotes a willing submission from children. See, good authority, according to Jonathan Lehman, he says, good authority binds in order to loose, corrects in order to teach, trims in order to grow, disciplines in order to train, legislates in order to build, judges in order to redeem, studies in order to innovate. See, good authority is for the flourishing of that child. See, as children, we are to honor our parents and the authority that they have as they attempt to wield this God-given responsibility. That we are to be joyfully obedient to their commands and their direction because obedience is how we express our love for our parents. But not only obedience, not just sort of um, reluctant obedience, but, but love is expressed in the manner in which we obey. The first time, the right way, with a joyful heart. That's what obedience is. Doing things the first time, the right way, with a joyful heart. See, this means that we give weight to their wisdom and guidance, that we oblige when they put restrictions upon us, that we submit to their discipline process. No matter how much we don't like it, we obey the first time, the right way, with a happy heart. See, this is what it looks like for us to submit to the leadership and authority that God puts before us in our parents. Now, parents, you have great responsibility here. See, what enables a child to submit to parental leadership is when they experience good authority. And so as parents, we make the fifth commandment more attainable to our children when, we, when our authority is in check with God's authority that we discipline patiently and not with haste, that we direct in the way that God directs us, that we instruct in grace, that our, 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 our discipline is motivated by love and our authority is motivated by love. See, we have this responsibility to God and our children to be worthy of honor, right? There's, there's inherent honor that God gives parents in giving, making them parents, but there's also a responsibility that a parent has to step up into that. And what we as parents 
need to realize is that we have a responsibility to our children to teach them how to honor us. See, this instruction doesn't just happen. It doesn't just uh, happen miraculously. They won't pick it up in a cartoon or a video series. This is something that we have to be diligent in in instructing their attitudes and behaviors in a way that is honoring. See, and we do this by affirming ways that they honor us. We can verbally point out, son, I'm proud of you for the way that you acted. I'm proud of the way that you treated your mother. I'm proud of the way that you, you uh, rose to the challenge and adversity and affirm those good things in which they honor us. But we also need to be clear and speak into the ways in which they dishonor. We need to call them to faith and repentance. And one of the ways that God gives us access to this or gives us the ability to this is the process of discipline. He gives us, God gives us the responsibility of instruction which comes through discipline and comes with the authority that God has given us. And so Proverbs twenty-two fifteen tells us, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 13, 24 says, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. You see, the most loving thing that you can do in, as parents is to lovingly discipline your children. And that looks different for various stages in life. I'm not saying grab your 16-year-old and put him over your lap, but, but there is a time where discipline like that is necessary. And as kids grow older, there's other ways to discipline, and it's the wisdom of a parent to know how to do that. See, honoring your father and mother is wisdom because this will set the tone for how your kids view everyone else. See, another way that honor is taught is that you teach your children how to honor you as you honor your parents as an adult. Right? Your kids pick up on your attitudes and your behaviors that you express to your parents. Another way that kids learn how to honor you as a parent is by seeing the father honor the mother and the mother honor the father. Right? The mom and dad relationship will set the tone for the household. And so if dad is overpowering and harsh and judgmental and dismissive towards mom, that is what the kids will learn. And if mom is browbeating, nagging, condescending, manipulative toward their dad, that is what the kids are going to learn. So the kids will either adopt that behavior and live in that, or they will resent the parent for that type of behavior. So as parents, what we need to do is we need to love our spouse well and set an example before our kids. So that's part of the responsibility that we have as parents. But, but what about... What about our, our responsibility as children who have become adults, right? What if, what if you're no longer living under your parents' roof? What if you've got your own kids now? You know, for, for most kids in the room, a lot of this stuff to this point is pretty applicable up to this point. But for those of us who are grown up, there are a few things that we can see how to honor our mother and father beyond our childhood. And the first thing 
that we've kind of covered a little bit already, I won't go back and rehash all of that, is that we, when we have the opportunity to speak well of our parents, we take it. We tell stories to our kids about how our moms and dads loved us well. We share those memories. Secondly, we honor our parents by representing them well throughout all our lives, right? We make them proud. We take pride in the family legacy and we contribute to that legacy. We work hard with excellence. We battle through adversity and trials. We treat others with grace and compassion, that we are honest and devoted to our friends and family and that we go on to raise families who love Jesus. That's one way to honor our parents as adults. Add to the legacy. Thirdly, and this is maybe the least popular in our society, is that we care for our parents when they are unable to care for themselves in old age. See, and there's variety to how we can actually do this. There's not one specific way in how this might play out. It could be in-home multi-generational care. It could be getting them in-home care for themselves. It could be even a quality nursing home as long as we're visiting them and honoring them in that sense. See, the Bible isn't prescriptive about how we do this, but Jesus certainly does make a big deal about this topic. See, in Matthew 15, Some of the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus and his disciples for not washing their hands before eating a meal. And Jesus sort of flips the script on them and he says, well, hold on. You guys are here and you're in the temple and you're doing your your role as a Pharisee, being uh, viewed as the most holy religious people of the day, and here you are neglecting the fifth commandment. This is what he says. Jesus says to them, he says, you have sold all your possessions. You've given your stuff to God in a way that neglects your responsibility to your parents. And he criticizes this for them. He said, and I think it's common in in our society to do the same thing. See, because what what the Pharisees are doing here is they're saying that my lifestyle does not account for me or does not allow for me to to fulfill my responsibility to the fifth commandment. They kind of chalk it up as a noble thing. We're in the temple all day long giving our stuff to God, and so we can't do it. But Jesus says, no, 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 you are are elevating man-made tradition to bypass what God has commanded you in his fifth commandment. There's no getting off the hook for that. And this is why I say this is common in our time, where we elevate our lifestyle above what God has called us to do. Right? We say, I've got important things to do. My lifestyle doesn't allow me to have mom and dad in the house. Make all kinds of excuses as to why we wouldn't fulfill the fifth commandment with our parents as they're late in their adulthood. But the excuses that we make to get ourselves out of keeping the fifth commandment never stand. See, Jesus cuts us down right away. He says, your tradition makes void the word of God. 
And so this mo- the most religious, most devout people of Jesus' time, he looks at them and he says to them, you are hypocrites and you are failures. That you can't even keep one of the Ten Commandments. You give the appearance of being holy and pious, but you fail at honoring your mother and your father. And if these guys are failing, we must take a minute to pause and reflect on how we are failing. Or maybe how we have failed in the past. So I want to ask you, have you honored your parents with your heart, attitude, and your behavior at all times? Have you submitted to your parents' authority? Did you do it joyfully the first time the right way? Have you forgiven them of their mistakes or are you holding them in unforgiveness? Are you giving their voice the appropriate amount of weight in your life? Is it not being elevated above God? but in submission to God? Are we belittling the sacrifices that our parents have made for you, even though that they are imperfect? They were probably your parents' best attempt. Are we honoring that? Maybe we're only keeping half of the commandment and playing favorites, right? I can honor my dad, but there's no way I can honor my mom. See, the command holds us to both, honor your mother and your father. See, our failures in this area loom even larger when we take this commandment to its broader context, which is to any and all authority that God has put over us in our lives. John Frame, he's a brilliant theologian, writes, Father and mother in the fifth commandment can be read broadly to refer to all authority. Right, and so he's saying that, that dishonoring, whether it be a hard attitude or a behavior, a boss, a government official, even our president, is breaking the fifth commandment. He continues on, father and mother in the fifth commandment can be read broadly to refer to all authority and even the authority of God himself. Thus, all disobedience of God violates the fifth commandment. See, any and all disobedience of God, whether it be sins of commission or omission, right? Commission of doing things that we ought not to do and omission is not doing things that we should do are violation of the fifth commandment. And you see, there's benefit to keeping the fifth commandment. We're told in the second part of verse 12, it says, honor your mother and your father, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. See, there's good if we keep this, but there's also bad for us if it is not kept. There's judgment for us. Later on in Deuteronomy 21, 21, We're told that if you disobey this, if you break this commandment, the evildoer is removed from the family by death. People have died over not keeping the fifth commandment. See, and Jesus doesn't back down from this when he's interacting with the Pharisees in, in Matthew 15. He quotes the Old Testament and he says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. See, there are, ultimate consequences to this kind of dishonor and rebellion. 
rather than living a long life, your life gets cut short. Not just cut from the family, but from life entirely. So to break this commandment is to choose an alternative life that is not in line with God's way. It's not how you live the abundant life. And so if you break this commandment, this commandment breaks you. Now, perhaps this has scared you into wanting to honor your parents more. Right? That's not really what I'm after. But there is benefit to see here in honoring your father and mother, right? Who wouldn't want to live a long, good life? Right? That's the promise that we have in fulfilling this commandment and keeping this commandment. Deuteronomy 5.16, as the Ten Commandments are being retold again, it says that, that in obeying this commandment, your days will be long and your life will go well for you. Right? Who wouldn't want this kind of life? Who wouldn't want this kind of life for their kids? But to live this kind of life, you need, your kids need a power that comes from outside of you. See, it, it doesn't come from the law. As much as we rehearse this and as much as I, I teach my kid to, to listen, obey the first time with a happy heart, that does not change him. That does not give him the power to do so. The law only reveals our condemnation. It shows us where we fall short. It shows us, it opens our eyes to show us that we are not the good children that we thought we are. We are children who are hostile in attitude and behavior, that we are inconsistent with our love and half-hearted at best with our obedience. See, who would want a kid like that? Hostile, half-hearted, disengaged, inconsistent with love. Who would want that? Who would tolerate that in their home? God would. God adopts kids like that. God sent his perfect son who perfectly honored his earthly parents and all earthly authority and honored God perfectly, not once expressing dishonor in attitude or behavior, living a life that would guarantee uh, longevity and vitality, but because his life was lived in perfect submission to the heavenly father, he allowed for his life to be cut short so yours wouldn't be. At the hands of revilers and parent dishonorers, the perfect child was slain. Not only was he cut off from his earthly family, but he was cut off from his heavenly father. And so that by his substitutionary death, disobedient and dishonoring children like you and me might not only be forgiven, but adopted into God's family, a new family, in which we receive a perfect father full of wisdom and grace, truth and mercy, who disciplines right, rightly, who is patient and loving, intimate and powerful. See, this is the kind of father that we gain in the gospel. A father who can rewrite the wrongs of any imperfect parents who have come before him. A father who can heal our wounds 
while affirming the good done by our earthly parents. Friends, this is the craziness of the gospel. This is absurd even. That God adopts us as his own children, knowing full well that we are very prone to breaking the fifth commandment. And he doesn't just treat us like like outsiders. Sure, I'll adopt you, but you have to sit in the corner. You've got to prove yourself. God brings us into his family and dotes us with his love. And it's by that love, that constant, overwhelming flood of love, that we tap into the power required to obey the fifth commandment. See, the Holy Spirit empowers us to put to death the ways of evil and to live to righteousness, to honor our heavenly Father, to honor our earthly parents and all authority that God puts in us, over us. You see, and Jesus actually transforms this commandment too because when, when, when one point in his ministry, people come to Jesus and say, hey, your mother, your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother? Who, who is my mother? Who is my brother? He says, anyone who does the will of God is my mother, is my brother, is my sister. So Jesus transforms this commandment. He's saying that Now your family is the church, right? Cyprian of Carthage, he said that you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. And so there's a sense in this commandment with the gospel power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we lean into this and we honor our church family. We honor one another. In honor of the Father, we submit ourselves to Christ and his church as we live in community and on mission, making much of the name of Christ and spreading his honor and fame throughout the world. This, friends, is the extent of the fifth commandment. And it's by God's power, it's by his overwhelming and constant love that he's pouring out on us that we are able to lean into this and keep it by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, the perfect son who lived the life that we could not live and gave honor to his parents and his heavenly father and to all in authority in ways that we fail to do daily. But it's through his life and his death that we are able to be counted righteous that we are adopted into your family. And so, Father, the gift of family that you give us to look at you, to be able to call you by name as our heavenly Father is such a privilege and such an honor. We thank you for that. We thank you for what Jesus has done to achieve that for us. And, Father, we ask for your help. The Spirit would enable us to lean into this fifth commandment, that we would honor our earthly parents and the authority of this world that you have placed over us, And ultimately, Father, that we would honor you as our Heavenly Father in all that we say, in all that we do, in our heart, attitude, and behaviors. Would we bring you glory and honor forevermore? In Jesus' name, amen.